So welcome to this very special podcast where we have our guest of honor, Stephen. He is here today to talk to us about what? About my story. Oh, and why? Because <laughs> it sucked. It was good. <laughs> Basically because I'm making him and he doesn't dare tell me no. <laughs> That's one way to look at it, yes. Yes. <laughs> Stephen has been a client of mine for a while, and his story is very unique. And his journey, because his story has been unique, has also been unique and hard. And I think that you guys can learn a lot from it. And so I want him to share his story and his journey so that you guys can learn. Awesome. Take it away. Okay, so I, I share my story with everybody, um, whether they like it or not. Um, and it's up to this point, it's been more of a coping mechanism for me. Um, but Mandy then invited me to, to come on to here and share my story. And, and the way I wanted to share it started to mature and change. Um, I stopped thinking of it as, you know, me complaining about what happened in my life and more trying to understand the whole process of how I protected myself, how I uh, formed a reality around what was going on that was safe and was actually a lie and not the truth, and also started to look at how um, I came out of that lie that I had told myself and started to heal from all the trauma that I had gone through. Okay, just one second. So I'm going to have you explain why you thought you were complaining because I know our listeners out there, everybody says, I can't complain about my life. I shouldn't complain about my life. Society says, don't complain about your life, right? Right. So with all of this trauma that was going on with you, why did you think it was complaining to just speak the truth? That's a really good question. Um, I think that right there shows a little bit of kind of the, the trauma that I went through. Um, I see whenever I talk about my issues um, uh, as selfish um, because my parents told me it was such, right? You know, no one wants to hear about you. No one cares about what you have to say. Um, and what I call complaining was actually just me venting and, and expressing the frustration, expressing the trauma. Um, but... I had framed it as complaining. And so when I say I was complaining, what I really was doing was expressing what I went through. Um, and that's very personal, right? That's very much for me, for my sake. And I was told that those kind of things were selfish. Um, but they're not. They are good. It is healthy as long as you find the right ears that are willing to listen. <laughs> and These? Yes. We'll, we'll take what you're saying to heart. Um, so yes, good good clarification. Um, a lot of my story to this point, uh, me sharing it with people, has been me expressing my struggle, my trauma, my, my feelings. Um, and that's something I haven't done a whole lot of. Um, we weren't a big feeling family, um, obviously because, you know, trauma and uh, bad things. But I want to focus telling my story now as a way to help people understand just how I naturally responded to that trauma and let them know that it's okay to not be okay. Um, I grew up in a, a pretty religious household, um, but kind of more like a religious on Sunday kind of family. 
Um, and then the rest of the week was, you know, do whatever, uh, unless the neighbors are looking, of course. We're very superficial <laughs> about our religion. And um, we did all the things that you're supposed to do, right? We went to church, we read the scriptures, but it never felt real. It always felt surface, um, surface deep. And growing up, I always had this feeling um, of nobody really liked me. Nobody really cared about me. Um, but when I would talk to my siblings about it or my parents, they'd always reassure me, you know, of, of course, everybody loves you. You know, here's this and here's that. And, you know, they'd, they'd list off all these things they had done for me. And they would. They would, you know, buy me grand things, get me lots of toys, throw a special party. Um, but it never really felt real. It always felt like... It was this spectable, uh, spectacle to convince me that they loved me. But I never really felt that way. Um, I, all my siblings would like to tease me. And, and, you know, you have your typical picking on siblings. Mine was a little bit more uh, extreme, <laughs> if you will. Um, it was things that, you know, would make me just feel like I was completely and utterly alone. It made me feel like I had no worth. It made me feel like they just wanted me to be gone and not exist. And I thought that that was normal. They told me it was, right? And, you know, I, I just kind of accepted it for what it was. Um, as life continued on, my family moved a lot. This, this brings up one of those questions I had. You know, why were we always moving? And, you know, I, I picked up on that, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm, I'm a child who's starting to have friends. And once I feel established, my parents say, hey, we're moving across the state or we're moving across the country or... Even in one fun adventure, we're moving to Mexico. You know? I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of help here. When Stephen first came to see me and I was doing my assessment with him and he said he'd moved everywhere, I said, oh, is your dad in the military? And he said, no. Oh, was he moving for jobs? No. Oh, <laughs> why was he moving? He just wanted to. Oh, Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so continue. <laughs> well, the, the typical response I would give is, you know, my mom's a hippie and loves to, to move around and my dad likes to make her happy, um, which <laughs> that's not the truth. No. Um, but th there was this question from all this moving around, you know, why are we moving around so much? Why are we never establishing a home? So I, I had this ability to always um, show up somewhere and make friends pretty quickly. So I would establish my friend group and my home wherever I went because I, I wouldn't be there long. Um, and one of these places that was really important to me and, and kind of an important part in my life was when I was living in Ohio. Um, during this time, I was um, 8 to 12 years old. So it was about a five-year period. It was the first time in my entire life that I started at a school, middle school, and ended there. So, you know, all through the, the grades, I was at one school, and that was a big deal for me. And I made this really close group of friends. They really liked hanging out with me, and we were always hanging out, doing stuff. We'd go skateboarding. And then just out of the blue, they stopped being my friends. And I remembered thinking, what did I do? Why don't they like me anymore? And I would not get the answer to that question until 16 years later. Um, and that was another question, you know. Why did my friends just stop being my friends? And this wasn't the first time that it had happened, but this was the, the most um, critical time that it happened. So 
I, my husband did the same thing. My husband was military. Uh, he was an Air Force brat. And he would travel around, and he told me that he would always find the healthy. And that's what I told him, that you went and found the healthy. But the problem with your story is you would go and find the healthy. And what Stephen found 16 years later, but I'm going to do a little spoiler, is that his parents didn't want him to find the healthy and would ruin that for him. So that's what I call it for all of you people who say, how did I make it? Because Stephen, this one isn't unique to just Stephen. This is something that abused people will do when they move around. If they don't like the abuse, they will go and find the healthy. Yep. So. Well, and, and I'll, I'll kind of skip ahead in the timeline and, and kind of answer that question that I had for 16 years. Um, and this, this was answered probably like three or four months ago. Um, I actually reconnected with um, one of those friends on, uh, on LinkedIn and just started talking to him and asked him some questions about how he's doing. And the, the way he responded to me and the way he talked to me was like we were still friends. And so that made me kind of sit there and question and ask, you know, like, hey, why didn't we uh, ever stay friends? And I said, you know, I know this is kind of weird. And I, I did my, my trauma dumping on him. And <laughs> I said, I know this is weird. I'm going to therapy right now. I'm realizing that my life was kind of crappy. And there was a lot of um, traumatic things that happened to me and a lot of abuse. And I'm just trying to understand what happened. And I asked him, you know, what, what did I do? And his response was, you didn't do anything. It was your family. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's, uh, he said, I thought your brother was going to kill me. And I said, okay, what do you mean? He's like, well, one time we touched his drum set, and he told us he was going to kill us. <laughs> now, I had those threats all the time in the house. I took nothing of it. And um, my friend took everything of it, <laughs> thought he was serious. And that got me questioning more why would you take that serious and I said you know okay what else did you observe in my house and he said well everybody dismissed you um, you were the the butt of every joke they picked on you and just we weren't happy when we were at your house and you know I, I kind of thought back and I said okay I don't remember that right um, when you live in trauma when you're in survival mode you look at the the roses <laughs> you don't look at anything else so it's hard for you to see at times. Um, and he then told me that he even tried, um, and he was 10 at the time. A 10-year-old knew that there was enough abuse that he tried to get his mom to let me move in and live with them. And I remember him talking to me about that, um, but I thought it was more like a sleepover. <laughs> He's like, what if you come and live with me? And I was like, this is awesome. I could convince my parents to, to do this. And I remember talking to my parents, and I can't even remember the response, but I know it was one that was shot down really quickly. Um, and I think, you know, I understand why. <laughs> so many of the listeners right now are going, oh, Stephen was in denial. Okay, I'm going to give you that Stephen was not in denial. The thing about it is his parents were in denial, but denial is not not knowing what's going on. Denial is knowing what's going on and refusing to acknowledge that that's what's going on. You refuse to take responsibility for it. You refuse to admit it. You refuse to do anything about it. Uh, what Stephen was doing was truly survival. 
it was this is my surrounding and this is how I survive it. So the way that he was surviving it was to block out the worst of it. And that is a survival tactic. It isn't denial. So don't confuse the two and think that he was just this clueless kid who didn't know what was going on. He knew what was going on, and he was surviving it. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. And um, I think it's also very important to mention that I did not know these things until I was educated. Um, and Mandy was a big part of that, of course. Um, she's the therapist I've been working with and has taught me a lot of these terms and what I was actually going through. And that was a breath of fresh air to finally understand and to put all of what I was experiencing to, to terms and to understand it in a very um, scientific way, but also in a very psychological way. Um, but re returning back to my story, another question that I had growing up was I could see in my parents something that wasn't right. That's, that's the best way I can put it. Something that wasn't honest. It felt like there was a facade. Um, I, I remember distinctly looking at my father, and I, I had blocked out a lot of what um, my parents had done to me. And I loved my dad. I, I looked up to him, I idolized him, and I wanted to be like him. But I always remember looking at him and feeling like there's something there. It was a question mark, I would, I would tell everyone. I was like, yeah, my dad's great, but there's this question mark. And I couldn't ever really identify it. Um, I later came to know what that was, and that was his own struggle with um, the things he's done and um, his own denial um, coming out. But they would always lie to me. That's the best way. That's the only way to say it. Um, a small example, and, and this is just a, a fun little story I always share, but a small example is we were living in Mexico, and we were at this bar, um, me, my brother, and my dad. And we sit down, we get food, we order drinks, and my dad, you know, leans over to the, the waiter, whispers something to him. I'm 16 at this time, and um, I'm also a youth that is really just enjoying drugs and alcohol at the time, so I knew what was going on. <laughs> and uh, he whispers to the waiter, tries to pretend like nothing just happened, and the drinks come out, and my drink is in the same cup as my brother's, but my dad's is in this little fancy cup. It's got a little umbrella sticking out of it, Obviously, it's alcoholic. And so I asked him, well, what'd you order? And he said, oh, the, the same thing as you. Now, the viscosity of the drink was different. It was, it was not the same thing as me. And I said, oh, that's funny. Um, why is it in a different cup? And he's like, oh, well, the, the waiter told me that they're doing the dishes right now. And I just looked at him baffled because I'm like, I am sitting right here. I saw all of the exchange between you and the waiter. He didn't say that. And that was a big moment for me because I realized that my parents um, would just lie, just blatantly lie, and it had just become habitual. I would find with my family that the story that you were told when everything was good was the story they wanted you to believe. The truth would only come out when they were angry and when they wanted to attack someone else. So lots of trust issues, lots of trust issues. Um, 
I, I never knew what to really think or believe about extended family members um, until, <laughs> until they wronged my parents, and then I heard awful things that, um, you know, weren't necessarily true, but there was enough truth in them for me to be like, oh, cool, there's something there. And I started to see that, you know, the big question mark with my parents was they won't tell the truth. They will tell the story they want you to believe, and the truth will come out in anger. Um, and that, that was hard because all of the siblings developed that same behavior, where my brother, um, he and I would get into fights, and I would find out how he felt about me in the fights. And he would say hurtful, horrible things that just tore me apart. And in anger, we, we all learned in our family to lash out as hard as we could. In our anger, we wanted to say the most hurtful thing to just break the person. It wasn't about winning the argument. It was about breaking the person. And that resulted in some of the most brutal fights that <laughs> I told my wife about one of them where my brother and I were fighting and I chased him up the stairs. I bit his ankle. He kicked my face. I then threw him into um, the wall and then he kicked me again in the chest. And then I ran and I grabbed a knife and I put the knife to his throat and my mom screamed at me to put it down. And I looked back at her like, what? I'm not gonna use the knife, it's just to scare him. And I told my um, wife about this and said, oh, you know how siblings fight. And her response was just, no, that's not how siblings fight. <laughs> there was one final question, um, and this was kind of the biggest one that I had realized in my life. Um, the question was, why do all of our friends, family friends, eventually hate us? Um, I would see this time and time again, and it always corresponded with right when we would move, um, ironically enough. Um, something would happen where my parents would fall out with some of their friends. And whenever I would ask about what was going on, it was always, oh, well, they did this to us, and, you know, they did this, and they wronged us in this way. And I just remember, like, man, my parents are a victim all the time. Like, they are just so victimized. Why do everybody hate them? Like, why is there so much hate towards them? Um, and that was the question, right? Why did everybody hate them? Well, I, I would come to later get glimpses of the truth. Obviously, I didn't investigate every single story, but I would start seeing things. You know, I, I remember um, when I was living in Ohio, I walked in on my mom in my room crying. And, you know, my dad had um, done some horrible things to her. And I remember also peering into her journal one time and reading about some of the things that had happened. And I was... I was getting these glimpses of what was really going on, and they weren't the victims. They were the cause. Um, and I started to realize that that corresponded with us moving. Whenever my parents would have done enough harm in the area to solely their name, which sometimes took, you know, half a year, a couple of years, we would move, and we would find a new location, and we would start fresh. So as I discovered the answer... Um, to all these questions, I realized the next step was to get help. Um, I went and met with a local church leader 
who um, I was meeting with him for something not related at all to trauma. <laughs> and in the middle of our conversation, he just says, you need to see a therapist. A lot of your issues are related to your parents. And again, this was not a trauma meeting. It was just us talking. And I knew I needed to get help. Now, I sat on that for about two or three years before I actually got the courage to, to come in and meet with you. Um, and what finally got me to get help um, was the birth of my son. Um, I have always wanted to be a father. I have always wanted to be a husband. Um, and I understand that the reason I wanted that is because you marry someone who loves you. And um, your kids, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> um, your kids will love you as long as you don't, you know, screw them up too much. <laughs> so my goals in life were to find love. And um, when my son was born, there was things that were not right with me. Um, and I, I wasn't an evil person, but I had a hard time with my temper. And I also found myself checking out a lot mentally. Um, I was always exhausted and just really selfish, which uh, Mandy would eventually teach me was depression. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I knew that I needed to get help. And um, one day when I finally felt like I was ready, um, it was actually at a prompt from my wife. I was telling her she needed a therapy, and she said, I'll go as soon as you go. <laughs> and I said, boom, okay. And I was like, I'm going to find a therapist. And through the, the inspiration of God, I reached out to uh, a former um, friend of mine, and he recommended you. Um, and <laughs> I didn't need much recommendation. I, I knew that I was inspired to ask this person. Um, so when they said, meet with Mandy, I was just like, cool, done. I didn't need to do any research. I was like, let's go. Um, and I, I go, and um, you, you like to remind me a lot of what I said in our first, uh, first I meetings. do, because everybody now is thinking, well, how was that hard to go see Mandy and trust her? Oh, he's going to tell you. <laughs> yes. Um, within 10 minutes of meeting Mandy, she said, what are you thinking? And I said, this sounds like a sales pitch. Um, if you've listened to the podcast or if you get to know Mandy, she is very blunt, and she says it as it is. Um, and it seems boastful, um, but it's not. It's not. It's just the reality. Now, I have a hard time. I have trust issues, and a lot of how she talks has hints of the way my parents would talk because they would be boastful but with pride, right? They would they would lie and convince, and Mandy had too many answers. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was a sales pitch. However, I gave her the first session, and by the end of the session, and it was like a two hours, two yeah. and a half, yeah. she had cracked me open and seen into my soul. <laughs> and she told me things about myself that no one knew. And she saw me. And for the first time in my life, I felt validated in the feelings that I had had. And I never had that. For the first time, I found someone who understood what I was going through. And at the end, I was ready to go sell for her. I was ready to be her salesman. <laughs> and I even told her, yeah. anytime you need me, let me know. And that's how I ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell him. I said, it's no sales pitch. I am no salesperson. I hate sales. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
me too. I did sales. It, it's not fun. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> well, I, I noticed in meeting with you, um, there, there are good therapists and bad therapists. And I think the thing that I really appreciate is your ability to see the truth. Um, and people don't like to hear the truth. Um, I will tell everyone, you know, don't trust yourself because you're probably lying to yourself. <laughs> um, you've probably convinced yourself of something that's not true just to cover up the trauma that you might have had. Now, not everybody has trauma, but those who do probably have that struggle. And it was extremely um, exposing to have Mandy just see in and say, here's the traumas that you have, this, 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 this. And for me to understand that that was true and to see it and be like, yes, okay, that makes sense. And she started to give me the steps to unravel all the lies that I had built up and to start to see my trauma for what it really was, trauma. And to start to see the people who hurt me as what they were, abusers. It became very clear to me that I had a lot to work on. I had a lot to unravel. And the only way to give my wife and my son um, the life that I wanted to provide was to work through all the issues and to look at the ugly truth of what had already happened and accept it for what it was and process all of the emotions that I had buried away and tried to keep at bay. It wasn't fun. <laughs> um, Mandy told me that uh, I would hate her. Um, I never did. Um, there were sessions where I didn't like what she was saying, but I knew that they were true. Um, and it's also important to note that, you know, Every so often, Mandy's wrong, um, but um, it's what? never. Yeah, it's no. <laughs> it's never anything that. It's never the big stuff. Um, I've noticed that. And if you have been wrong, you've been really good at letting me say no, not necessarily. Or I'm just like, eh, whatever, keep going. Like that's that's not a hundred percent. Yeah. On the things that matter, hundred percent right, and and that's most of what I've gone through. Um, working through this with Mandy has been, um, really difficult, really hard to accept. I'm not a big, um, feelings person. I have a hard time. Um, feelings were used as a, a manipulation in my family. And so I found it was better not to use them. Um, and unfortunately feelings are at the center of trauma. Um, you gotta, you gotta work through them to get through it. And... Mandy has been able to prescribe all the right steps at the right time to get me there. Um, it started with the, the three for three. Mm -hmm. um, you're right. At the end of the day, three things you did right, three things you did wrong, and um, three things you're grateful for. And at first I was just like, okay, this is dumb, but I'm going to do it. Um, and then she explained to me um, the science behind it, which she does way better than I, and I won't even – try basically it fixes your brain <laughs> um and i saw that i saw that where i could start acknowledging the things i was doing right i could start acknowledging the good in me and i also acknowledged my mistakes and they didn't bug me as much i started to realize that it's okay to, to mis um, have mistakes but that we do a lot more right than we think we do um, after that exercise, we started getting into some, some deeper things, started um, doing a lot more just like talking. And um, 
I started to realize that Mandy would share stories. Um, this is actually pretty not typical from my understanding. Mandy's the only therapist I've been to, but others that I've spoken to are like, your therapist does what? Um, Mandy shares stories, which I love. And um, her stories are always very much intentional and they're calculated and they're tactful and she's trying to help you figure something out. Um, and I, I'll admit, and she knows this, um, I check out in a lot of her stories <laughs> and I start kind of reflecting and it's, it's like her stories are a starting point for me to start thinking about my life. And once she shares something, uh, it could be like, oh, well, you know, I was bullied. I'm start, I start thinking, hmm, I was bullied too. And it helps. As Mandy is sharing her story, it gets my mind going. And that has been so helpful for me. What I was looking for from a therapist was someone who could see what I was going through, understand the issues, um, and prescribe methods that worked. I didn't want endless questions that seemed like they weren't going anywhere. I didn't want, how does that make you feel? Because as I've already established, I don't feel very well. <laughs> so, And I don't care how you feel. <laughs> yep. Yep. Love it, hate it. I'm still going to do what I'm doing, right? And I've needed that. I, you have called me out on many occasions and been like, nope, don't do that because you're doing this or you're, you're trying to deny or you're, you're whatever, right? You, you call me out on my crap. And I appreciate that because my initial response is this fight or flight like defense. But then I put that down and I'm like, okay, if you're saying that, you've shown me that you can see truth and that you're probably saying it for a reason. So it gives me pause to reflect and... If you call me out, you've always been right. You've, you've never been wrong. I'm calling me out. <laughs> and that's what I need. Because with my trauma, and probably the majority, we build a narrative around the good to hide the, the pain, to hide the hurt. And we just keep lying to ourselves. We need someone to call us out. We need someone who can point it out and say, that doesn't make sense. And... Mandy has done that for me every step of the way, unfortunately. I'm just kidding. It's been awesome. <laughs> and I have actually made more progress in the 10 months I've been meeting with her than I thought I would in years of therapy. And there is still so much more for me to go through. But I have been given and taught tools that help me. Um... I've started to look at my negative behaviors that I go to to cope with stress, to cope with depression, to cope with anxiety, um, and I've, I've labeled them, and I, I understand the triggers and the actions that come from it. And although I still have yet to um, overcome all of those bad habits, I have been able to get a control under them, over them. And I've been able to include my wife in on these behaviors. And she can call me out when she sees them happening. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say that from an outside perspective, you show up better in your life. You show up better with your wife. She likes being with you better. And your son likes being with you better. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the energy in your house has changed. Yep. 
and you can tell you're more of a family-centered house and less of an individualized house just when you go in. Yeah. You like being together. Yeah. We didn't have that growing up, obviously. No. <laughs> everybody's in their own room doing their own thing, but I I feel like I should share the scariest part of my journey. Um, I've gone through a lot. Um, the the details aren't as important, but I've been through you know sexual trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, pretty much all of them. <laughs> Um, and I was terrified to let those feelings out. And there was one night where it all came up and I've, I've never had this reaction before. I went into a extreme panic attack, um, extreme depression. I was sitting in bed with my wife, sobbing uncontrollably. And everywhere I looked, all I could think about was different ways to kill myself. Um, and it was terrifying. I, I had a two-year-old son, and I had a fantastic job. Everything on paper was working well for me. And, you know, I, I was happy, but I wasn't. It was weird. And all of the negative came out. Um, and it was, it was almost too much to bear. Um, and I emphasize almost because I, I had already gone through. Uh, Mandy helped me realize I had already gone through all this pain. Um, I just never dealt with it. And so if I had survived this long, I could survive feeling it. Um, in that moment of extreme depression and um, suicidal thoughts, I um, reached out to a neighbor and asked him to come over, and um, he gave me a blessing. And through that blessing, I was able to calm down. And after that moment, I, I felt like a new man. I felt like I had just taken a shower, and I was a little bit cleaner. Um, and I've had um, moments where the emotions come out, um, but never to that point since then. And it was a terrifying moment, but I texted Mandy. And Mandy responded very quickly and was reassuring and comforting. I don't remember what you said because it really didn't matter. It was just the fact that she responded and so quickly responded that I knew I was okay. In summary, prior to coming on to this podcast, um, I thought a lot about what message I wanted to share and, and um, what was the key highlights I've learned. Um, and for me, it really boils down to you are not held accountable for what was done to you. You are a victim of abuse and you are not held accountable for that abuse you are not sullied because of that abuse you are not any way less worthy or less loved by those who truly love you um, we go through hard things in life and if we are the victim it is not our fault um, we are not alone either there are plenty of people who will accept you when I started to come to therapy, I started to find people in my life who loved me, who cared for me, who actually wanted me to be me and didn't ask me to change. And when we accept who we are and embrace ourselves and love every bit, the, the pros and the cons of our personalities, and we embrace ourselves, we find power. And it's power that we've always had. 
And people who are good will cling to that and will be attracted to that power. If they're trying to change you, they're not worth keeping in your life. Now you guys can tell partly why I asked Stephen to come on here and share his journey and his insights. Uh, but I'm going to share one little thing that shows just how different he is in his journey. I have told you in a couple podcasts before that I always ask at the end of an assessment, do you have a question for me? Any question that you want to ask? And when I was doing Stephen's assessment, I asked him that. I did the, okay, are there any questions that you have for me? He is the only person that I have ever asked that question to that has actually asked the good question. Everybody else looks at me and goes, no, I don't think so. Or, uh, do you do blah, 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 blah. It's like, uh, don't ask me what my favorite color is. That's not the point. And they say, well, do you take Venmo? Yes, I take Venmo. Also not the point. Really? I'm not going to give you that information? He asked the question that related the best to his experience and it showed me that he was actually thinking about what this journey could be for him. And watching this journey for him has been watching somebody work really, really hard on stuff that's really, really difficult. And he has made great progress. He's not done. He's got more. He gets to suffer through me for a little bit longer. <laughs> but I hope that you have heard what he has said. And I hope that you feel that you can relate to it. 